Will, thank you again for joining me uh, to allow me to pick your brain. So I'm just going to jump straight in with question one. Uh, we've just kind of been talking about Vendor Central, right? So my first question is, what are the major challenges with selling on Vendor Central from, from your, your seat? Beautiful. I think it's a, a great question. And Vendor Central requires, A, like one of the biggest challenges, it requires its own level of expertise. Like what we have found is there, you know, the population of sellers, because it's really open, you know, as long as you can, you know, have a valid information to open an account, anybody can really be a seller as long as they're following Amazon terms of service, obviously. But with Vendor Central, because the relationship's more of a wholesale relationship where there's purchase orders, there's pre-negotiated fees. Uh, if you're lucky, you have a vendor rep you could talk to. If you're like a lot of other vendors we talk to, you're kind of on your own. Um, so there's lots of challenges with just the nuance of proper operations in the dashboard. Uh, different from Seller Central, where you're kind of managing a lot of it. You're shipping the inventory, whether it be FBA, leveraging FBM fulfilled by Merchant, fulfilled by Amazon, uh, for those viewers who don't know the acronyms or uh, the merchant channel fulfillment, you know, you're managing a lot of those feeds, you're controlling the flow of inventory. Uh, Amazon's going to just straight up cut your checks for uh, for products, but you're going to have to adhere um, to a lot of their policies. And one of the biggest things that you lose, and one of the pain points we have all the time is uh, can't realize actual profit, which is their crap policy, not making up the acronym, leave it to Amazon. Um, but what it means is that they're making these purchase orders. And what we find a lot with our sellers that have retail distribution, especially our national uh, level, is that a lot of third-party um, uh, purchasers will buy the product, they'll flood the market, and sometimes they come in at a lower rate. When Amazon sees the lower price pretty much anywhere else on the web and or they're seeing it come into the market on their listings at a lower price, they're going to hit you. And then you say, hey, we're not going to do a purchase order. And by the way, reduce your price, reduce your price, reduce your price. They're obnoxious with these emails. And the, the caveat is like, yes, you want to have good map policy. You want to have you know tight reins around distribution to make sure that the, the products that are on the market are legit. Counterfeiting, especially in the beauty and supplement category, is a major issue. Um, but reducing the price, you, you're setting the new level for the price. So what we have found over time is like it's better to run a promotion or something like that if you're going to handle some of these policies. But for us, the biggest challenge is you know a little bit around profitability, but it's around that the pricing model that Amazon has and getting those wholesale orders. And then the other big thing is negotiating your fees. So especially when you're coming on, because like when you're first, it's invitation only. So if you're like, how do I get on the seller central? Uh, if you haven't been invited, it's tough. What we have found for vendors who get in, they're generally, Amazon will approach them because they have great uh, off Amazon sales or presence, uh, or they, they meet these people at trade shows is how we have found the vendors we work with kind of get into these programs. And when you're in that first phase, like this is, uh, you know, a lot of people make the mistake where they're like, we just want to be on Amazon. They don't really negotiate their fees as well. So real quick, Amazon has co-op fees. And your co-op fees cover the cost of Amazon hosting your products, sold by Amazon, uh, what, fulfilled and sold by Amazon, essentially. Uh, and they handle a lot of the customer service aspects of that. Um, but the average co-op fee is between 4 to 10%. And generally, the co-op fee makes up uh, contains three sub-fees. 
Uh, and the first sub fee is your market development fund, MDF fees. Uh, the second is your freight allowance fees. And your third is your damage allowance fees. And this obviously allows Amazon to recoup some cost as things happen with your products, returns, um, different marketing initiatives, different betas to different programs. Uh, but generally, the market, the MDF market uh, development fund, that's going to be your largest fee between 13 to 22% is typically the range we see uh, for vendors. Freight allowance, 2 to 5%. Uh, obviously, it varies based on the size and the weight of the product. Uh, and then damage allowance, anywhere from 2 to 11%. And that comes down to the category and the specific type. And I, I encourage all our vendors who are starting is try to get the lowest rate you possibly can. Is nine times out of 10, you'll have a vendor rep for the first year and they're going to bounce. Amazon is not going to put another vendor rep in there. For me, it's kind of something that's really going away unless you're like really Fortune 500 top brands on the platform. Um, so when you're getting into the platform, this is like something we tell all vendors, work with an agency, go get a lawyer, like negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Um, coming onto Amazon and being able to maximize your profitability, having margins for uh, yourself or an agency to do advertising. Uh, you know, Amazon's a pay-to-play platform, so it's not just enough to be on the platform. Granted, there's programs, born-to-run program, bulk buy program. So like they have different programs that allow you to move product and show the value. But if they're making these purchase orders and they're not selling this product, you're not going to get purchase orders from Amazon anymore. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So I just totally ranted, James, but hopefully that answered your question and a bunch of others. <laughs> no, no, that's um, that's usually very interesting. All those different layers of things you have to negotiate and it certainly certainly shows that it's a, it's a very different beast to the, the regular way of selling and, and all the more reason to to have the right advisors when when doing this, right? Um, I think that's yeah. what I took away from it, um, which is a good, good kind of segue into my next point, which is what are some of the things, you know, you need to watch out for when you're working with your Amazon vendor relationship manager? Like, obviously, that's a bit of a tricky relationship, but what do you, what do you have to, you know, think about when dealing with them yeah i mean they're gonna push you to do advertising they're gonna push you to reduce pricing they're gonna push you to kind of um you know like if you look at their incentive their incentive is to make amazon as profitable as possible and to provide uh the best user experience for the end user which is the shopper buying the products within the category um so what we find is um generally they're not as helpful as you'd like. Um, generally, everything needs to be run through case management. That's another drawback. It's like even to change the title of a listing, um, generally you're open in the case to to get these done. The bulk up loads and some of the uh, backend um, features don't really work as well. Um, so having a vendor manager and working with the vendor manager is just like always communicating, usually via email, uh, and trying to do things in what we found, like if I had a laundry list of stuff to do, so I had like 50 ASINs and I wanted to change all their titles at once, um, sending that to your vendor rep, uh, they will do 50 at once. So like your vendor rep will generally take care of a lot of that. If you don't have a vendor rep and you're working through support, you need to take those essentially one at a time and open individual cases. Because if you send them a bulk file, they're going to jack it up. And then you're going to have even more problems 
than you had before. So the, the vendor rep is a benefit. And if you have them, you can lean on them, lean on them to renegotiate rates, lean on them to get into betas, lean on them to get into programs. You know, the, the content creation uh, beta is something that's out there. You know, a vendor rep can get you into that. Same thing with an advertising rep, if you have an advertising rep. So those are all benefits. And then inevitably, when you no longer have a rep, you know, be prepared. Uh, even some of the annual negotiations, you know, we find uh, we have a couple vendors that we work with that lost their rep and we're just locked into their rates. We've opened cases um, to a point where we had to consult a legal service and we're kind of working through the weeds on some of that. So tying it back to my first point, when you're getting on the platform and you're negotiating these fees, be aggressive, you know, make sure you get yours and you have comfortable margins. Interesting. Yeah, very, um, very pragmatic um, kind of advice there. Um, so changing gears, um, talking about advertising, um, is it any different with with Vendor Central uh, versus Seller Central? Like, or is it the same? What's your view on that? Yeah, uh, my view is pretty much the same. What I would say is, although Amazon won't admit it, what we have found across the board is that um, uh, they prefer 1P relationships. So generally from an organic standpoint, from ad placement, uh, you tend to get better placement. We tend to get a little better results. Um, and a lot of that has to do with like the incentive. They're not going to say it, but they're on the hook. They made this purchase order. They have these products. So they're obviously, they're incentivized to push it. But, you know, they still have to maintain a fair and balanced marketplace. Um, so from an advertising perspective, it's pretty much the same. You want to make sure you're controlling the buy box. You want to make sure, as I mentioned, you have good margins on your product so you can afford to advertise it, especially if it's a new product, especially if it's a launch, and especially if you don't have a lot of brand equity, um, you need to make sure that you have funding in order to drive awareness, to get to the top of results on relevant search pages, attract, uh, send your products to uh, the right audiences so that they're aware you're available on Amazon. And you know, at this point, 50% of e-commerce, a lot of traffic, but a lot of discovery happens off of Amazon. So you don't necessarily, like, I totally get it. Like, um, you know, we want to drive to our website. We, you know, retention, marketing, lifetime value, and all the benefits of controlling that relationship. But customers are going to check Amazon. They're going to check Amazon for reviews. It's part of the shopper journey. So even just general awareness of, like, also available on Amazon. Um, simple stuff like that on your social media. A lot of our influencers that we work with will have a link tree and they'll, you know, they'll have uh, the different places, but they always have a link uh, to Amazon. And it's a great uh, habit for brands to adopt to make sure that, you know, they're, they're providing a consistent user experience no matter where that shopper is. And at every point of that journey is a consistent brand experience and it'll translate into, you know, dollars and cents, whether it's uh, from the Amazon console or through your other marketing uh, and advertising efforts. Okay. Interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, next thing I want to ask you, Will, is what is this thing called um, net PPM? And, and why is this important to monitor? Yeah. So the uh, the net PPM is net pure profit margin. Uh, and it's, you know, how profitable are you on Amazon? And what it is, it's your, uh, it's your, the average selling price of your product, subtract your cost price um, plus your vendor terms. Um, and that's going to get you essentially your uh, your net PPM. 
And, um, you know, at Bellavix, we use ship cogs, which is kind of the same thing. And then we have our profit margins and all the fees associated with that. Um, so conceptually, it's the same way. And it's just like, how are you profitable? And for those of you guys who are having trouble raising prices, we've actually had several occasions where we've been able, uh, after the fact, to get fees reduced. Uh, and we've also been able to um, raise prices through a lot of case management. But if you're able to show to Amazon support, especially if you have a vendor rep, that your costs have went up, that your your net PPM is less than what it was significantly. This is all data you could provide to make the case to justify a price increase. So tracking this is important, you know, however you want to label it, um, and making sure that if you're losing that or if you're unprofitable, you have the proper um, paperwork and backing to be able to support uh, a price increase. And it is very difficult and it does take time and it's a lot of case management if you don't have a vendor rep. But those are all, you know, those are all the reasons uh, that's net PPM and why it's important. Right. Well, look, I, I got a little bit scared when you said, uh, you know, it can be a bunch of case logs to change your price. Yeah. Uh, to fix net PPM. I almost, you know, almost fell off my chair. Um, just on all of those points, Will, so how how, how does Bellavix actually help um, Amazon vendors? Like, how do you kind of take all these issues of just articulate? How do you turn that into a nice, easy to digest service? Yeah, yeah. So we we're kind of a turnkey option for uh, for any of our Amazon services. So essentially, we take over the management of the account. We do daily checks. Uh, we minimize your chargeback. So uh, the fees Amazon charge if you don't adhere to their their shipping and purchase order policy. So we'll try to get your money back. We track this on a regular basis. Uh, we we have a software stack that sends us alerts if uh, you know your title changes, especially if you're if you're a national retailer, you have a lot of resellers and, you know, people are changing titles and stuff like that. So uh, we provide a, um, a, a turnkey end-to-end solution and generally we'll, uh, we act as a fractional marketplace team. So we'll meet with our, our clients pretty routinely. We provide uh, regular reports and we're always, you know, hitting our KPIs, whether it's profitability, whether it's ROAS whether it's adding more products to the catalog, optimizing and ranking better for SEO. So these are all things that we track. On the vendor side, we don't have to worry about customer service uh, and some of those features. We're able to kind of double down on the operation and the advertising components to drive long-term growth and value on the platform. Awesome. I can imagine uh, with all those headaches we were just talking about, I can imagine a lot yeah. of people find, find this useful. Um, but yeah, look, I'm I'm... It was been very interesting, and I, I'm kind of I'm very keen to get you back um, later this later this year and talk about this again because I just feel like the vendor central space is is changing all the time. But yeah. um, thank you, Will, for sharing all those points and and giving us a little bit of insight. Awesome! Thanks for having me, James. I appreciate it.